0: Hey, Crossings podcast community. This teaching is called Emerging from Uncertainty and is a one-off teaching from Hugh Halter that was taught on August 29th, 2021. Thanks for listening. Well, hey there, Crossings family, Hugh Halter here. And it is so good to be with you. Actually, it's not good to be with you. I am, uh, as you can tell, I am down in the basement of our coffee shop in a very unattractive room by myself not talking to real people and i don't like this at all i'm only doing this because i do love mark and molly a lot and so they asked me to stop complaining and just do this for you guys so uh, i will see most of you hopefully face to face in a few days and that i am looking forward to Um, just because i've always loved hanging out with the crossings story Uh, you guys have given me the honor to speak into you know, different seasons of your journey, and um, I really count it a privilege to get to do that again. It's, uh, I was reflecting on just your name today a little bit, just uh, crossings, the idea that, um, I don't know why Mark called it that, but like it made me think about um, just passing through each other's lives. It's, uh, I just turned 55 the other day, and I'm starting to realize that one of the great honors each of us have is to pass through each other's lives. and. In most churches, people are not there very long. Uh, I know some of you have been there from the beginning, and some of you maybe have just come in the last month or last week, maybe four years ago. But in in most cases, uh, we just sort of, uh, we get a few years with each other. And hopefully as we do that, every time we're with one another, we just uh, cause each other to desire and love and move into the life of Jesus just a little bit more. So hopefully we can do that today. Um, you guys have been going through some cool transitions with um, with Mark and Molly. Uh, so so great that Molly is going to be kind of the one that uh, gets the the big responsibility of guiding this thing into the future. Um, definitely bad on you, Molly. It's uh, it's a tougher season to like try to lead church. I, I was thinking uh, there's a word called Zeitgeist, which means the spirit of the age or Kind of the undercurrents that become, you know, above the water that begin to affect all of our lives. And there's a lot of zeitgeists that are not helpful right now in being a part of a church or leading a church. And I I just kind of want to mention them to you because we're going to be looking at some prophetic words for you guys um, just kind of in this next season. And here's some of the biggies. These are the the big zeitgeist of the day. Uh, One is individualism, what we call radical individualism again. And that's uh, obviously, you know, the the idea of being a part of a spiritual community is about community. It's not an individual thing. You get adopted into a family. And so um, when the the spirit of the day says, uh, just stay in your house and stop going to the health club and get yourself one of those Pelotons, work out inside your house, stay inside your house. Don't let any other people into your house. Um, That radical individualism obviously creates quite a bit of tension. It's uh, my wife does real estate and even in fairly impoverished areas like uh, where we live in in the St. Louis area, um, we've had negative population growth for more than 30 years. So the real estate market obviously is one of the lowest in the nation. But all of a sudden, the last couple of years during COVID, there's a run on houses. Values are starting to go up a little bit. And I was looking into this and read an article uh, by a gentleman that started a a nationwide real estate uh, deal called Zillow. And they were asking him, why is the real estate going up so much everywhere? And he's just said, people are repositioning their lives to stay at home. And so they're finally getting their their perfect house that's uh, now a little bit bigger and they can just do everything in that. So it's, it's kind of a, I guess, a challenge on our desire to be in community with one another. The second zeitgeist, what I call just racial and injustice reckoning, um, and we don't need to speak long on that. We've all been seeing this, that uh, there's, there's a level of hurt that has existed that we've not paid attention to like we should have, and it has come home to roost, and it's causing, especially young people, to not want to be a part of anything religious that doesn't help people and that doesn't speak and challenge and fight against the injustices of our day. And oftentimes the church has not been at the forefront of that. And so we see, uh, that, you know, affecting younger people, they just, they don't want to play any games. Um, no bowl, I guess would be, um, their slogan. They're, They're just not going to be loyal to a religious service. If it doesn't change the city or help the poor. Um, third zeitgeist is what I would just call a lack of trust with leadership in general. Uh, nobody trusts anybody. Political leaders. Uh, we now know that nothing political can really save the day. And then when we see people, that get overly uh, confident in a political leader. Uh, that we, we now see that that's actually eroded the street cred of our Christian movement in many ways, and doesn't. It's not even helpful. So because of that, when you when you stop trusting people to lead, uh, you can't get movement. Movement is based on leadership and so if none of us want to follow or serve or work with other people, then obviously that's a problem. Um, there's obviously an economic zeitgeist where the, the disparity between the, the rich and the poor is now becoming uh, obvious to everybody. If you, uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon. If you go back to Portland, and Seattle, you see tens of thousands of people now that live on the streets in tents or 1954 campers, and they just live there. And um, they're not the the homeless population that we thought that they used. To. They're not just mentally ill or people that have uh, been chronically poor. These are people that just can't uh, pay the rent anymore. And so there's families, uh, kids, teenagers, the whole thing. It's just you know. And then finally, the, the final zeitgeist I think is critical to mention is just the lack of work ethic uh, with all the government uh, money that's gone out the last couple of years. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. If, you've, if you're have if you in construction or you're in the hospitality food industry like we are, you can't find workers uh, because they were able to pay their bills with somebody else's money. And it's affecting everything. It's, it's almost like it's a, I don't want to get into like political stuff, but You can just tell it's, uh, when people don't have to work for their money, they don't. And there's a collective laziness that begins to affect everybody. So you put all these zeitgeists together and there's begins to be these cracks that we see in the foundation of our, of our human experience. And all the way from little tiny cracks to rubble, um, where we literally see entire aspects of our culture begin to erode our families. Um, there's a great uncertainty with that, right? And what's unique about uncertainty, when you go, wow, this may not get better for a long time, even if COVID season relented, the zeitgeist might remain maybe for 20, 40 years. So when you think that the world might be going down uh, the, to the dark side, you that uncertainty causes, for most of us, it's a psychological thing where we just begin to lose energy and we stop taking risks, we stop, uh, working hard ourselves if we figure nobody else is, we get apathetic and even paralyzed. Uh, and, and then eventually it affects our spirituality because we know that we're we're maybe not living at the level that the Lord would desire us to. And so these are troubling times. So good luck, Molly um, and the rest of you. But it's that's the reality that we're on. So we need a timely word, don't we? <laughs> a timely word. I uh, actually have a young man that, uh, I've been working with for a couple of years. He moved up, was an amazing leader of an incredible organization in another city. And he came up to help us uh, begin a national work to support apostolic leaders that create ecosystems or kingdom ecosystems around the the country, mostly with business enterprise. And, uh, and, when he came up, just all heck began to break loose uh, with relationships back at home. There's a lot of just very, very painful things that began to happen and a friend of his older man sent him a what we would call a prophetic word to him and and in the in the dream he's the, the, the man giving him the dream said that he was up on a horse and he saw my my young friend down on the ground and uh, and he was coming towards him on the horse and The older man basically just said, hey, keep running, you're going in the right direction. Um, But make sure that that gentleman that's with you is essentially a part of it. And when you hear cannon fire, run towards it, guys. Well, at at the end of that word, uh, my friend said he felt very encouraged that maybe a lot of the difficulty we've been having has been because we're over the target zone and, and sort of on pace with what the Lord would ask us to do. Uh, but the older gentleman with the vision said, so "By the way, uh, who was the other guy? Is there a, a, another man that you've been working with?" And he said, "Yeah." And he says his name's Hugh Halter, and the guy goes, "I never heard of him." And so he sent him a picture of mine off Facebook, and the old guy said, "Oh yeah, that's the guy I saw in the dream." And so he, he just sent me that word that I was in his dream. And I'll tell you what, the the prophetic word wasn't really for me. It was uh, for my friend. But it was just nice to be like a character in the movie, so to speak. It's just nice to know that the Lord has something to say to us and that we're on the the right path or doing the right things. And so I hope that we'll get a little bit of a sense of that today, that God does know each of you. and He knows crossings and he does have some very specific words to you today. We're going to look... At a few passages out of the prophecy or prophetic work of Zechariah, who's a young prophet that's uh, speaking to people that were coming back from an exile period, about 70 years, really going through it, if you will. And so he has some words of hope for them. But um, before I kind of walk you through that, I want you to know that the text for this message of trying to move through uncertainty is really the entire Bible. <laughs> um, and I, I mean that seriously. I can't pick little tiny Bible verses to support what we're saying. The, the entire scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, we have to realize that all of these words were written to people that had no sense of certainty at all. <laughs> I mean, they would even look at what we go through, the zeitgeist of our day, and they go, oh, it ain't that bad. Trust me, it can get way worse. Um, so, if we look at modern day Afghanistan and what families are going through there, uh, what people have been living with in Haiti, in Syria, just imagine trying to raise a family in any of those environments, uh, different places around the world where there's uh, dictators that control and uh, hold people down. Every word of scripture in your Bible is written to that context. And so, God always speaks hope to us. That's it's like the hope is there to keep us going and to give us the energy in a sense that there is a reason for putting up with all this. And Zachariah has um, just some great words. And I really felt like this is timely for you. It's timely for me. The first eight chapters are essentially like a, uh, I don't know, a Quentin Tarantino movie script. Uh, It's a bunch of visions and Uh, crazy, kooky stuff that kind of tells uh, the Jewish people, this is why you got yourself in the jam that you're in. You basically have been sinful and unfaithful and you forgot all the promises I've told the last prophet. And so you're you're in a pickle that you're in because of all these incredible dreams and visions that he gives them. Then he gets to, to chapter nine and he says this, says rejoice greatly. This is chapter nine, verse nine. Uh, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king. He comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. So um, it's the story of Jesus's first coming. The, the hope that Zachariah is gonna give us, and I'll just tell you straight up. The hope is about Jesus coming the first time and then the second, prophetic hope that he gives is when Jesus comes the second time. That's what he tries to encourage the people. There's going to be a guy that comes that is going to change everything. It would be like a a total reboot. Um, And after 70 years of just being held down, that's what you want. You don't want, you know, just the tax structure to get a little bit better, the schools to get better. You kind of want a whole new universe and you want to get back to where you're used to doing what, what you, what you do and how you, serve the Lord and how you live and so uh, I hate to do sports analogies but you'd liken it to a Tom Brady rolling into Tampa who's been kind of a perennial sucker in the league and then all of a sudden the new king brings in Gronk and a few other guys and the next thing you know uh, they win the day so to speak Uh, this would be like uh, thinking about Bitcoin or new economies that are Some people think that the banking system, as we now know, may be out of place 20 years from now, maybe uh, not even there anymore. Uh, There's some things that happen along the way that change everything, or at least make you wonder, would it change everything? Um, So here's a complete new reboot. There's a new king that's coming in and there's a new kingdom. Uh, Obviously, you only have a king if you have a kingdom. Everybody knew that. So the new kingdom. Um, but this one's humble. This is, uh, this is not the type of king that we would expect. Um, he's, he, he's super powerful, but he doesn't act that he comes riding in on a colt. We know that that's a prophetic word for how Jesus came into Jerusalem. But um, when the king came in, the, the power of the prophetic word of the first coming is that he came to disarm all the powers and authorities of darkness, right? That was why the cross really happened. It wasn't just to pay for sin. It was to actually render demonic uh, devilish forces that hold people down. It was to actually say, no, you don't win anymore. And so it was to disarm the enemy. It was obviously therefore then to also set each of us free, free from the law of sin and death, free from um, the old kingdoms and the old currents of the cultures that we have lived under. Uh, it's a completely, uh, like unshackling of who we are as people. And then the third part is just that he would give us a template for a new type of humanity that would work with him in establishing and extending his reign on earth. That's, that's why Jesus came. That's, that's why the hope is so important. It wasn't just that Jesus would do something for you and me about our own personal sin so that we could go to heaven someday. It was that he was going to establish a better world here on earth, and he was gonna invite us into this. We always would say that um, that the hope of the gospel is that we someday might invite Jesus into our lives or our hearts. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus invites us into his life. And so the what we would always talk about is the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus really is about getting at his work and helping him in establishing the kingdom. And so it's actually, a work if you will and uh, when I say that I know some of you are like well hey quite frankly I'm a little tired um, the COVID season has um, put me on my heels I'm just not in the mood anymore um, maybe some of you really do feel weaker I know a lot of my friends literally would just say I feel spiritually weak this this sort of elongated two-year and that now maybe longer season it's just wearing us out it just Yeah, I don't want to go back to work for the Lord. I liken it to Mark and his tennis game. Okay, now many of you know Mark and I, I think Mark invites me to speak just so that we can play tennis. Uh, I know some of you have heard him say that his spiritual formation that he's been working on his whole life is to play. Uh, Oftentimes happens for us uh, weird pastoral leaders. We tend to work too hard all the time. And so... It is spiritual formation to play and to rest and to have a little levity. And so I think Mark just has me come out because he wins, but I always stay with Mark and Monica. So I see Mark, uh, maybe he hasn't brought this up to you, but in the morning, the old dog can barely get down the stairs. It's like he has thumbtacks stuck to the bottom of his feet. He like has to like hang on to rails and walls to get down. And I, I watch him do this and I'm like, There's no way we can play tennis today, but something happens by the time Mark crawls out of the front seat of his car and grabs his tennis rackets and pops open a fresh can of balls. It's like he becomes a different person. Um, It's like the pain in his feet and ankles and knees and back goes away. And he takes on the characteristics of a puma. I don't think I've beat him for, I don't know, four years, five years, like something he just like he gets fast and quick and gets to everything and laughs and smiles. It's like he's 14 again. But that is in essence of what these prophetic words are to help us to do. All of us are a little achy right now and a little tired. And yet the prophetic word is to go, look, God is going to win. He is going to bring his ways upon the earth. And someday, the second coming, the beauty of the second coming story is that uh, we won't have to do any of this. We'll rest forever. But, um, you know, many of you have heard our story. We moved to Alton and uh, just because we felt like God wanted us to do something to help this town. that was We weren't thinking about starting a church or starting a business. We just felt like God wanted us to do something to help. Um, you know, kind of a city level. Um, And then a a guy gave us an old building, we renovated it, turned it into kind of the primary daytime space for our town, kind of another crossings, if you will, uh, for people. And it's just been really a a crazy story, but it's been a lot of work, a lot of fun, but a lot of work. It was a full year of renovating and then trying to start all these businesses I had never done before. And so there's a lot of work with that. We also renovated seven houses um, between our, two daughters and their husbands and then our homes. And then just recently, this is a new one. I don't know if you've even heard about this one, but um, you know, our son passed away about uh, 13 months ago finally. He was the, sort of the spiritual patriarch of our family. And we learned to do ministry and ended up writing books about it all because of Ryan's disability and, and what we had to learn to do as a family. And then everywhere we went around the country to start new churches or whatever, it was all because of him. Um, and we got out to Alton because he had, was in an assisted living center here. And so we followed him out here. And so when he finally passed away, my wife really, uh, really dove hard. I don't know if I would call it depression. Um, she's just not given towards that. She's literally one of the toughest people I've ever known. But she really struggled. And when we would talk about it, she would just say, I just felt like I'd lost my sense of calling. And she never named it while Ryan was alive, but she realized that keeping Ryan alive was really her calling. And uh, now that he was gone, she just felt pretty empty and um, kind of without a purpose and um, hard to get off the couch for quite a few months. And then one day she came back and uh, back home, we having coffee. She goes, okay, I think I figured it out. And I was like, what? And she's like, well, I feel like everything's converged to to use the horses that we've always had and to work within the disability community and other people that live in trauma. She goes, I'd like to get my equine therapy license and love it if we would just set up an equine therapy deal out of our house. I said, well, we can't put horses in our backyard. And she's like, yeah, we're gonna have to get some land. And so we started looking for some land just uh, as close to Alton as we could. And uh, we ended up finding a 40 acre uh, deal. And uh, so we've been basically running fence line. We got our horses with us now and chickens and there will probably be goats and llamas and all sorts of, you know, other animals, maybe even a crocodile when my, my wife just likes animals. So in about two months, we're going to open up an equine therapy and working within the mental health industry here in Alton. But I just keep thinking like at 55 for many people 55 is when you think about retiring and shutting her down and um and i'll admit i've gotten pretty tired as well and yet the lord just keeps sort of going come on there's more work to do and because he is still my messiah he's still my lord he's not just my savior he's my lord i don't think i really have a say in it and so we just keep doing it and uh Reminds me of some passages I want to read to you this morning. Um, one is out of Galatians, it just says, I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is again, the hope of the first coming. He's, he's saying, I'm going to create a new humanity that is going to do my bidding on the earth and, and walk and live the way that I lived when I was here. And so when we accept Christ, we're not accepting an insurance policy We're uh, inviting him to literally be the Lord of our, of our days. Until the days are over, uh, there is no retirement in this uh, Jesus story. And um, if you're old like me, uh, you ain't done. I always say, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. Uh, God will still prophetically call you into works that matter. And uh, another passage out of 2 Corinthians says, For Christ's love compels us. No other motivation in life will keep you going, except when you go, man, the Lord really did a lot of amazing things for me. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves anymore, but for him who died and for them that he loves. Amazing story. And so that's the picture, the prophetic word. Jesus came into the world uh, not just to save us from sins, but to give us work to do, uh, work of establishing his kingdom. And uh, the, the final sort of challenge or um, I guess prophetic word that sets us free is about the second coming. And I, I can't really walk you through those passages because it's three more chapters and it's all about the new Jerusalem, the new messianic kingdom. And the one thing that maybe to focus in on with this hope is that someday we're never going to have to do any more of this stuff, uh, that we will actually have a, a season of rest and, um, and of lifelong Sabbath. And it's, it's sort of to live in view of eternity, like to really take eternity serious. For many of us, prior to COVID, we might have one or two people that might die over a decade or two. And so we don't think about dying that often. And yet COVID has done one really beautiful thing for all of us. We, all of us know people have died now. Um, death seems to be more in our view every day. If you watch the news, it's basically the death count of how many are, are going down. And now many of us have friends and family that have not made it through this. And so one of the things that does is it helps you to, to rethink your temporal Life in view of this afterlife—that this really is real—it's a beautiful reminder. God has prepared places for us, right? And He says, "No eye is seen, and no ear can hear uh, all the great things that God has prepared for those who love Him." It's—it uh, really is a great hope that I now think of. Fifty-five, you starting, you know, you're over the fifty-yard line. You're starting to go. Yeah, it could, I suppose, it could happen at any time, and so there is a hope in that, and so um what do we do with that hope do we just like sit there and relish it no we just enjoy rest a little bit here like that's part of our witness to the world is how well we work towards the kingdom that they see us active and excited and uh, working for the good of humanity that's actually a witness of the church it's also a witness when they see us enjoying life a little bit and taking a breather i have a good buddy that's uh older than me and he surfs out in santa cruz and I was joking with him one time about how he really doesn't have a real job. He just like disciples, uh, world-class surfers on the beach and then they take him surfing and he said, well, Hey, that little reminder halter. He said, uh, Jesus said the kingdom is now at hand. That means, uh, I'm living eternity right now, baby. So he goes every, every day I live a little bit of rest and every day I live a little bit of work. And I, I went, man, that is the gospel. That is a great way to think about it is that. God's people, are witnesses how well we work and how well we rest, uh, maybe even with a smile on our face. As many of you know, we started a coffee roasting company called Idle Coffee, young man. Uh, it was his vision. So we went out to Portugal, got him a big old roaster and away he goes. So he, he named it Idle Coffee for this reason. A lot of people ask, I-D-L-E, not idle. Okay. And he says, uh, Idle Coffee was born on a fragile, fragmented morning with a few close friends. I was one of those friends. Amidst the noise in our heads and the clamor of rushing motion right outside our door, we found ourselves huddled together in a peaceful moment around warm coffee. It was then that we realized the favorite part of any destination isn't the journey, it's the pause, pause to map and to plan and reflect, and then to get going again. We hope that this, the contents of this bag bring you moments to idle amidst whatever journey you're on. That's, to me, that's, I guess, summarizing the whole thing. So let's think about you personally right now um, and what this last couple of years has done for you, the zeitgeist of the day. Have you bought into those? Because um, if you have, you don't have to. God sets you free from that stuff. And if you found yourself at times uh, cynical, apathetic, uh, lethargic, Maybe the, the prophetic word of Jesus coming to the world for the first time will be a great reminder that you have deep meaning to your life and uh, even deeper meaning together as a community. Um, and maybe the second hope for an eternal rest that God will bring all things back into correction. There will be no more bad news at five o'clock on your TV. It'll just be good news all day long. That that would be something that we reflect on as a people as uh, it was interesting when Zechariah is talking to the people, they make this comment. They said, Hey, should we stop mourning? Cause they knew the seven, God had prophesied 70 years is going to be rough. And then I'm going to begin to reestablish. So they asked, Hey, uh, should we stop mourning now? Is God's kingdom going to come? And Zechariah kind of turned it on his ear a little bit and he reversed it and he said, well, will you be the type of people? And that's all he says. He didn't say that. Do what he just said, will you be the type of people? Obviously he was asking what God was asking for all of us. Would we as the church be the type of people that let Jesus literally be the Messiah, let him come, uh, let him humbly serve the world, uh, riding in on a donkey and, and follow him in his pathway and in his work. Would we be those types of people? Would we be the type of people that would not fear the afterlife? So therefore we don't have to fear how we live today or the sacrifices or risks that we make to help people today. So hopefully these words speak to you. I'm encouraged, by the way. And uh, so let me pray. God, thank you for crossings. Thank you for this work that you started many years ago. Thank you for all the leaders and the the people that have served in this movement. We do thank you for a timely word from Zechariah that, um, that, We live between your first and second coming. And so we have great hope on both sides. And we're so grateful for what Jesus has done for us personally to set us free and to invite us into his work and his good world. And so, God, uh, may your blessing and favor be upon the leaders and every single person that will be a part of the story this next year uh, in this church in your name. Amen. All right. Love you all. See you soon. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee now. As always, if you have any questions about this teaching or are looking at different ways to engage in community at crossings, just reach out to us at administration at crossingsknoxville.com. If there's anything we can do to take care of you as you're listening from a distance, please let us know. Shalom.